Greetings and welcome to Planet Water, a podcast about healthy water, mindful hydration for body and mind, and sustainability from Blue Water, a Swedish company that's battling single-use plastic with innovative, super-efficient water purifiers and great-looking sustainable water bottles that come with a lifetime warranty. In this episode, we'll be talking to Philip Russell, Assistant Director of Sustainability at the RNA, the organisation that works to administer the rules of golf around the world. Over 250 years old, the RNA is based in the majestic Scottish east coast town of St Andrews, which is considered to be the home of golf. I'm Dave Noble, Communications Director at Blue Water. My purpose is to help people everywhere take a deeper look at all things water. From the way water keeps us healthy, improving physical and mental performance, to the multiple threats posed by chemical and plastics pollution and water scarcity, being sparked by climate change and ever greater urbanisation. It's a horrifying thought that since I first began this podcast just a few minutes ago, the grim reality is that several millions of plastic bottles have been sold. A gut-wrenching 500 billion plastic bottles are used by people every year, a statistic that translates into 66 bottles for every human on the planet. Sadly, most of the plastic bottles produced aren't recycled, and that means a huge number are ending up in our oceans and other natural environments to become insidious microplastics. Every day, the amount of plastic dumped in the oceans is the equivalent of around 750 fully loaded garbage trucks. The price the planet is paying is sobering, with plastic now found in the deepest reaches of the ocean, in remote Arctic sea ice and on once pristine mountain pastures. At Blue Water, we care deeply about what goes into our oceans because we care about what goes into our bodies when drinking or washing with water. You see, our aim is to do business with a purpose. To that end, we've put banishing single-use plastics at the very heart of our business mission to give people access to pure water at home, at work and when on the go. Blue water purification products remove over 99% of all known contaminants, from lead to chemicals and microplastics, and are available globally for a healthier planet. If you want to dive deeper into the impact of water on your body and mind, wellness and well-being, mobility, mental and physical performance, and get answers to simple yet vital questions on stuff like how much you should drink each day and when, you'll find answers on the Blue Water website, bluewatergroup.com. At bluewatergroup.com, you'll discover what's in your water that shouldn't be there. We explain the technology that's available to clean what you've been putting into your body in a wide range of educational white papers and information sheets. We even give you a whole bunch of recipes for water-based drinks using fruit, vegetables and herbs. There's frankly nothing quite like the sound of a driver club successfully hitting a golf ball. It's deeply satisfying whether you're a pro 
or an amateur golfer. Over 60 million women, men and children on six continents play golf regularly. And thanks to the COVID-19 pandemic, the numbers are actually growing as people who've stopped going to the office and eating out are instead increasingly playing golf. What's not to like about the game? It's outdoors and aerobic and there's very little social or physical contact, unless you need a helping hand clambering out of a sand bunker, of course. Golf has also shifted from being a male-dominated sport to one that is more inclusive, with ever more women and young players. And the sport is growing more sustainable as it has become clearer and clearer that manicured, unnaturally green golf courses maintained by excessive watering and chemical treatments don't benefit nature. As a governing body behind the rules of golf, the RNA says sustainability is a key priority. The RNA strongly advocates sustainability across the nature, communities and resources agenda, saying that to be considered sustainable, the golf operation should protect the natural environments, benefit communities and conserve resources. Every year since 1860, the RNA have organised an annual event called The Open, where over 150 of the world's top players are invited to compete on a so-called Lynx course, which gets its name because it always runs alongside a seashore. It can be tough going, with howling winds and driving rain coming in off the sea, but it's an awesome trial of skill on courses of huge natural beauty, and attracts very large crowds of up to 50,000 people a day. So when in 2019 the RNA decided to halt the sale of single-use plastic bottles to the tens of thousands attending the events, they turned to Blue Water for a solution to help keep people, both fans and players, properly hydrated. Blue Water set up 19 water stations around the course at Port Rush in Northern Ireland and produced thousands of refillable stainless steel bottles, which helped ensure not one single-use plastic bottle was sold during the event. I spoke to Philip Russell, Assistant Director of Sustainability at the RNA, to discover what had driven the frankly brave decision to go single plastic free. Can you tell me something about the history of the RNA and what its role is in golf around the world? Thanks, Dave. Um, And thanks again for the kind introduction to join you for the podcast this afternoon. Real real pleasure to be here with you. Um, So by way of introduction, I I work for the RNA in St. Andrews. Um, My job title there is Assistant Director of Sustainability. a little bit about the organization. So the RNA, uh, it's people refer to it in slightly different ways around the world, often still use, use the term the Royal and Ancient, um, and probably useful to start off with um, putting everything into, into perspective. Um, so the RNA, the, the group of companies, um, is a relatively uh, recent creation. So it was set up in 2004, um, but its history dates back a long way prior to that. Um, so in 1754, a long, long time ago, the Royal and Ancient Golf Club of St. Andrews was founded. Um, and to this day holds uh, an incredibly important 
role in the world of golf. But historically, it was the club um, that did all the work around the rules of golf, golf development, ran the Open Championship. Um, and then in 2004, the decision was taken to essentially form a new corporate structure, uh, a group of companies to take over that governance role, uh, responsibility for running events, golf development activities. Um, and that group of companies uh, was called then VR&A. Um, so just literally V, capital R, ampersand and letter A. Um, so taking, of course, our name from the heritage, but but a legally distinct entity from, from the club, which to this day is a private members golf club based in St. Andrews with a global membership around about 2,400 members. Um, so we define ourselves as a governing body. Um, we are responsible for the sport everywhere outside of the US and Mexico. Um, so we're working with over 140 different countries on behalf of over 30 million golfers. Um, and our, our governance role comes from our work in administering the rules of golf, which is um, a task we do jointly with um, our good friends at the United States Golf Association uh, based over in New Jersey. Um, and alongside our governance role, we also run a lot of events, um, the big ones being the Open, um, and now the AIG Women's Open as well. So a little, a little bit of a quick overview. Um, the the RNA is actually located in this absolutely marvellous town on Scotland's east coast called St Andrews, which um, is famous for its university as well as, of course, for being the home of golf, I guess. Um, it's pretty outstanding in many respects, I found. I've been there a couple of times, thank goodness, to uh, given the opportunity to visit you. Can you tell me something about the town and the importance of the area itself to the RNA? Um, as yes. regards its traditions and culture? Yeah, yes, of course. And uh, as you said, I mean, St. Andrews is recognised as the home of golf. Um, it's interesting to note that um, of the courses in St. Andrews, of which there are seven, um, they're actually run by a completely separate organisation to ourselves called the St. Andrews Links Trust. And it is it's an incredibly uh, important location uh, internationally for lovers of the sport, followers of the sport, um, literally a, a lifetime ambition for, for many golfers to come and visit St. Andrews, um, play on the links there. Um, so it's a wonderful place to be based. Um, it's very much our spiritual home as an organization. Um, to this day, the majority of our team are based in St. Andrews in the town, uh, across a number of buildings in the town center. Um, but as, as we've grown to become, you know, the, the modern international organization that we are, um, our, Main headquarters in St Andrews are complemented by a few regional offices uh, around the globe, um, one being uh, out in Singapore um, and another being uh, over in Argentina. Um, but this is St Andrews is deeply entwined with our sense of place, with our identity. Um, St Andrews, of course, is one of the uh, venues on the open rotor. Um, it was last here in 2015 um, and will host a very important milestone um, in 2022, which will be the 150th playing of the Open Championship, um, which I know all of us in the sport are very much looking forward to. I mean, that's absolutely an amazing uh, heritage, an amazing heritage that is actually as, a, as amazing um, as the location is um, of St Andrews um, on a beautiful stretch of Scotland's east coast. Um, 
I suppose it's little wonder, um, bearing in mind the fact that you do live in such natural beauty, that sustainability is on your agenda. Um, but how long has it been on your agenda? How long has the RNA put sustainability as a, a, a core of its activities? It's a really interesting question. And I'd start by saying that you know, sustainability as a relatively modern term um, is something now that the whole world of sport um, is really focusing its attention on us, us included. Um, but looking at it from our own historical perspective, for many years, the RNA's work around this topic all fell under the golf course management header. Um, so when I started work for the organization, I was working in the golf course management department. Um, and we were primarily looking at, as the name suggests, uh, issues pertinent to the management and development of golf facilities. Um, so for some examples, looking at land use, water use, materials, be that bunker sand, um, how the sport uh, utilizes chemicals, um, what impact golf has on biodiversity um, in terms of habitat management on golf courses. So for many years, all the work happened under that header. Um, but then as more and more in the international domain of sport, sports governance, major events, evolved, changed, the sustainable development, uh, the sustainability heading really became something that everyone started to uh, unite around. Um, so we, we in due course, um, and this was probably happened around thinking back uh, 2015, something like that, um, we then decided you know, that this was really a key term for us to use as well. Um, so the golf course management department um, was duly changed, branded, uh, as the sustainability department, um, which for us was incredibly exciting because with that, it really broadened our remit scope of work um, in terms of the issues that we look at. Um, for instance, thinking about uh, the education of next, next generations of greenkeepers, our advocacy work, um, promotion of best practice, a lot of research that we've helped enable. Um, and you know, as much as we can as well, also being an inspiration and showcase for the sport in terms of the way that we do things, particularly around our events that we organise. Well, of course, uh, uh, um, an absolutely massive milestone um, was created in 2019 at the 148th edition of the Open Golf Tournament in Port Rush, Northern Ireland, um, where Blue Water was able to step in and help you uh, with some of the um, supply of clean water to all the fans that attended it. Um, what spurred that step by the RNA um, and what did it involve? And let's ask also why. So it's a, another really great question. And I mean, for us to, to put it into perspective there, um, from, from what I've explained already in this session, we've got a, a very um, expansive role um, in terms of what we do for golf around the world. Um, and alongside uh, being a governing body, we're also a major events organiser. So it kind of goes hand in hand. And, and interesting to note, actually, it's the commercial success of the Open over the years that enables us to invest all that we do back into sport um, through golf development programmes, looking at golf and health, a big focus at the minute in getting more women and girls playing the sport, all enabled via the ongoing success of the Open. Um, when we also think about the work I'd mentioned in terms of um, enabling research, promoting sustainable practices for the management development of facilities, 
it was, of course, important that we were also um, walking the talk, so to speak. Um, so we we knew that the events that we organized ourselves um, had to be really good examples of sustainable practices. Um, and the biggest event that we organize is, of course, the Open. Um, so we took the decision to implement a sustainability and legacy um, platform within the Open Championship, which we launched in 2016. So again, not, not too long ago in the scheme of things. Um, and we gave that program a name. We called it Green Links. And we see that stream, that GreenLinks work stream, as the umbrella program for all things related to sustainability and legacy staging the open. So, for example, the protection of the site during the build process, the restoration of the site afterwards, looking at our procurement footprint, how we manage waste and materials on site, what we do with the local community, what happens with volunteering, what kind of direct investment we put back into the local community um, as part of our open legacy fund, as we call it. Um, and we see this, you know, a really important part of the work that we do in staging that event. Um, and as the years go on, we, we try hard to keep abreast of the topical issues in the world of sustainability, in particular in relation to major events. Um, and, you know, it goes without saying that the problem of single-use plastic was a huge challenge uh, for everyone operating in the major event sector um and you know we, we all hold our hands up and say that in years past we were very reliant on single-use plastic water bottles um to deliver the championship because we're a what you term a greenfield site we're not in the stadium we it's a different venue we move around year to year um and it's an enormous infrastructure exercise in designing, building, and operating all of the uh, gate controls, the grandstands, the pavilions, hospitality operation. Um, you know, we can have, at Port Rush, we had over 237,000 people um, in attendance last year to put into, into scale. So when we were thinking about drinking water, although we've been reliant on these plastic bottles for a long time, we knew that it's something we wanted to change, particularly so for us because um, the Open's always played at what we would term links golf courses or seaside golf courses. So the ocean is always there in the backdrop. Um, and we've all heard just how damaging single-use plastic is, particularly to the marine ecosystem. So we, we felt, you know, for us as an event operator right by the sea, that this is something that we, we had to address, we wanted to change. Um, but not easier said than done in terms of making that shift. Um, and we knew we needed something that could cater for that volume of people that could provide drinking water safely, securely, um, and in a manner that we had complete confidence in um, that wasn't going you know, to fail during the event, which would be an absolute disaster for something scale of the open. Um, so we were really delighted and, and excited when we met um, yourselves and the team at Blue Water and learned about your solutions in terms of both your water purification technologies and the um, uh, stainless steel refillable bottles that you manufacture. Um, and now looking back and recall fondly the six months or so we spent our teams working together to design and build a project model where we could integrate those technology solutions into a major event, um, in this case the Open, and completely change the paradigm of how water can be provided in a sustainable fashion um, for a major international event. So how did the world react? I mean, how did the world and everyone who attended the event react to what you were achieving at Portrush? 
I think, I mean, it was from our perspective, just incredibly positive. Um, and looking back now, you know, over the last year, 18 months, it feels like we caught it just at the right time in terms of the awareness of this particular topic, i.e. single-use plastic. Um, and you know, there's been so much good work done by incredible individuals, organizations around the world in raising awareness, you know, to name a few, all the work of Sky through their Sky Ocean Rescue Program, Sir David Attenborough. Um, and if something's just really then embedded in people's consciousness, i.e. that this epidemic plastic that's everywhere in our lives was just having these catastrophic impacts on ocean health. Um, so I think something had to change and people knew that something had to change. And it felt that people were really looking for inspiration, right? to see these changes, not just talked about, but actually delivered and to be part of it. But coming to a major event maybe wasn't something that people were expecting to see as a big catalyst for this. Um, but we work very hard with our own in-house teams, with yourselves at Blue Water, um, to make sure that the messaging around this was absolutely um, correctly aligned. Um, and as you'll recall, we, we put out a lot of communications ahead of the Open telling people that this initiative would be in place, i.e. Blue Water water stations would be installed across the site. We had 19 of them delivering unlimited, free, chilled, purified drinking water uh, and encouraging people to bring their own bottle. A simple thing, but bring your own water bottle. Uh, don't pay anything for water while you're on site and help us change the way that we all think about water. Um, and it was it was hugely well received. We know that a lot of people now, just as everyone has a mobile phone, a laptop, something you have with you in the modern world, a lot of people carry a refillable water bottle and want to be able to refill it. So I think when we sent that message out, and you know, the only caveat that we said was, please no glass bottles into the site for health and safety. And a, a lot of the bottles on the market already are made from uh, materials other than glass. It wasn't a huge issue. Um, and I think it really excited people. It was great to see them bringing their bottles in, using it. You know, we had a, a very nice stretch of weather, um, all things considered, uh, for the open of Port Rush. And people are out there enjoying the golf. You know, we pride ourselves in it being one of the, one of the greatest showcases in sport um, from a fan player experience. Um, and doing your part to help tackle this plastic challenge. Um, and of course, alongside that, we also gave away a lot of the um, specially designed blue water bottles for the Open. Um, so we gave away over 5,000 stainless steel bottles completely for free as a promotion. It was a pleasure to work with Ulster University um, on that volunteer program. The um, uh, individuals that we trained up uh, gave some background as to the project, why we're doing it, um, a little bit about the problem of ocean pollution, um, and handing those bottles out for free. And then for people that hadn't bought their own one with them or been fortunate enough to get there early enough to receive a free one, you could buy one on site for £4.50, which we felt, again, was a very, very good price for a bottle of that quality, estimating on the high street it might have been you know, 12 to £15 pounds or something like that. Um, so all, all in all, it felt that we caught it just right. It was sincere. The messaging around it was well-developed, thought through. And I think that just resonated with people. Um, and, and we'd see that looking at the coverage um, that we generated um, from the project across social media, printed media, and so forth. All in all, it sounds like it was an absolutely amazing success. And of course, I was lucky enough to be able to uh, attend it myself and Quite honestly, I didn't come across anyone who objected to um, not being able to buy a single-use plastic bottle. Um, what would be 
your advice to other organizers of other major events because i mean as you've explained the port rush and the the open are absolutely big scale um events so what would what would be your advice to anyone listening in to this podcast now and who might be thinking of maybe doing something similar i think the the key bit you know sort of advice that i give with this is that you know, you've got to be bold with it um I'm, I'm i'm not gonna lie and say this was easy to do because it wasn't um and it's not a simple thing to do either um you know the, the i think a big part of the problem of plastic is it's cheap and it's easy um, and we found that ourselves you know in years past we just order enormous quantities of these bottles directly from a spring and have them on site and you can sell them you can give them away for free to staff the players it's a one-size-fits-all solution but with that there's an enormous environmental problem so we knew we had to change it and then it was really just about being bold and steadfast in that commitment to finding a way to deliver the change um and the fortunate thing that we have in the world now is the technologies that are out there um you know 10 15 years ago i think it would be a very very different scenario of trying to bring something like this to reality um but you know now we do have access to and you know by the year an increasing portfolio of innovative companies like blue water who are purpose-driven bringing real solutions to the market that can change not only the event sector but the way that businesses deliver day to day um so i think if you're bold in your commitment and steadfast in that you will attract the right people around you to help bring it to reality um, and we certainly couldn't have done this without blue water and again i'd take the moment here just to say thank you to to you dave and your team at blue water for bringing this to the successful fruition that we did together um but it's having the commitment and i think sharing a joint vision and making some good things happen um because as you said yourself just a moment ago it's almost impossible to speak to someone and then have a bad word to say about this because everybody knows now that we've got to change. And that's the beauty of water is that everyone's got to drink to stay alive. And particularly in sport, you know, it just go, it goes hand in hand. You know, sport is about athletic performance, is about health, is about hydration. Um, and also, you know, from a, from a fan perspective, we really promote, you know, come to a big golf event like the open you know you're going to walk a fair distance during your day there you're not going to, you're not going to sit in a chair all day you're going to you know walk. It's, it's different from a stadium for instance um you're going to be moving around walking around the course um and that's again something that we've promoted in terms of you know the number of steps that you can take um the sport itself and the health and well-being benefits that it can bring um and it goes hand in hand you know being out walking around a golf course all day in hopefully the good weather you need to keep hydrated. Um, and that's why we felt this whole thing was just such a good fit. Um, and it was, I think, sincerely received by people. That was an amazingly big splash you created um, at Port Rush in 2019. Philip, what's next on the agenda for the RNA? Where do you go from here in your sustainability drive? Well, I mean, we, we see it very much, the sustainability legacy workstream as a journey. Um, it's not going to be finished one year and then, and then we're done and we sort of, you know, hang our coats up and say, well, that's finished. It's uh, an ever-evolving workstream. Um, and this is to do with, you know, the more that we understand about climate impact, well, the more we understand about waste and materials, the more we understand about new technologies and the way they can help us. Um, so we've looked at uh, broadly around the materials heading. We've done this big project on plastics. 
Um, we want to do more. We've been really proud to have achieved a zero waste to landfill status for the last few years for the Open. Um, currently, we're also looking hard at the energy and transport topics um, because in the past, you know, we've been very reliant, as most big events have been, on red diesel generators. Um, and as you can imagine, that is associated with a significant proportion of the overall event carbon footprint. Um, but again, not easy to change because a lot of these technologies just aren't fully developed and out there yet. So we're working with um, our fantastic partners to explore and understand um, alternative energy technologies. Um, also looking at the whole mobility angle, transport mobility. Um, uh, and they're looking at, you know, what comes next? We'll have seen that in the UK, you know, a few days ago, it was announced that new petrol and diesel cars can be banned by 2030. So we know that change is coming and we're going to anticipate a year by year increase now in the number of electric vehicles on the road. Um, so it's a natural question to ask about well, what's the future of major events from an e-mobility perspective, i.e. how will we think about electric vehicle infrastructure and incorporating that into the model. So that's another thing we're working on at the moment. Um, so it's, a, it's an enormous topic, um, it's a very exciting topic as well. Um, and I think one of the, one of the best parts about that is that we we get to work with some brilliant companies and, and like minded people in the process. Uh, you mentioned, of course, uh, in one of your earlier answers, Philip, that there's a lot of walking. And of course, one of the things I greatly enjoyed um, at um, the Port Rush event was spending every morning walking around all our hydration stations that were scattered around the course, where we discussed yes. a whole range of interesting. Uh, 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 topics, um, not least uh, global climate change. And I just thought maybe here I'd like to ask a little bit about, you know, as, as, as that's something that you are delivering on with purpose, what your personal thoughts are about what we in the world need to do to help return the planet uh, to some degree of health. Yeah, and it's, it's something, I mean, for, for me personally, I mean, my, my background is a sustainable development degree at university. So this is a topic that's very close to home for me. Um, but I know how easy it is, is to see so much uh, disappointing stories and worrying stories about what's happening with the global climate system, what's happening with loss of forest cover, what's happening to habitats around the world. Um, I'm a big believer in the importance of tempering that with an, an optimistic outlook. Um, and I, I'm definitely an optimist with this. I think we have enormous opportunities now to rethink and restructure the way that we do things, um, be that in the world of business, the world of sport, major events. Um, but we've got to be prepared to think outside our comfort zones. Um, and we've got to be able to challenge things that we maybe took for granted in years past. Um, and I think the, the really great thing about this point in time now, and, you know, and e even elevated to some extent by the, the terrible pandemic with COVID-19 world's experiencing at the minute, a lot of governments, uh, policymakers, NGOs now are talking about the opportunity for a green recovery. Um, and actually using this, you know, as terrible it has, as it has been, is as a turning point for rethinking and rebuilding the way that we do things with a whole new focus on clean technologies with a supporting infrastructure model to match that. Um, so in my own thinking, I mean, we're, we're at a turning point um, now in the world um, and sport is very much included within that. I mean, we, we had to cancel the 2020 edition of the Open due to COVID-19. Many events were similarly impacted. So we've seen you know, the far extreme of what this can cause in terms of the impact on the world of sport. 
Um, so it's given us time to think. It's given us time to explore new ideas, new technologies, new opportunities. And I think going forward now, there's a sort of a, co a collective shift in attitude towards these issues. And we know that it's something all of us need to be looking at um, and trying to find solutions. And when the solutions are brought together and implemented, our water project being a good case in point last year, there's a huge appreciation for um, recognizing what is possible and what we can do to both initiate and drive that change. You know, Philip, we've known each other for almost two years, and there's one big question that I've never actually put to you, um, and which I just can't resist putting to you now as we come to the end of this um, uh, session. We've never actually played golf together, and I'm just wondering, do you actually like playing golf? I do. I mean, it's something, it's, it's a question that we're asked a lot because working in golf, golf all day, day in, day out, major events, golf conferences, golf seminars. It's a, it's a treat for me to get out. I must confess, mo mostly in the warmer weather in St. Andrews. Um, and I always favor uh, not nine holes in the evening after work. One of, one of the wonderful things about where we're on St. Andrews here is that in the summer months, we've daylight out until sometimes 11 o'clock in the evening. Um, so one of one of my favourite things to do um, in those warmer months of the year is to head down six seven o'clock in the evening uh, and have a quick nine holes on the links there. Um, and I think you know being out there myself and you know many of my good friends enjoy the sport. Um, it's something that I think reminds us of the natural world around us, um, and that's a big part of the work that we're promoting now as a governing body is the health benefits participation whether that's nine holes whether that's 18 holes whether that's you know competitive players an amateur or whether it's into the professional ranks you know golf is an outdoor sport um, and you're playing it in the natural environment um, whether you're on a links course next to the sea or whether you're in an inland parkland course you're out there in nature um, and i think it's something to contemplate and consider the world around us the impact that we're having on these precious resources it can be a, a very, very powerful trigger for that. So um, a great area to be working in, in my opinion. Philip Russell, thank you so much for joining us at Blue Water for this podcast and uh, wishing you well for um, the upcoming event in uh, 2021, which will be in Kent, I believe. That's right, Dave. Yep. So we are now for the rescheduled uh, 149th Open, uh, which indeed will be at the Royal St George's Golf Club uh, down on Kent's coastline in England, um, so July next year. Looking forward to that enormously. Um, looking forward to our ongoing collaboration, um, having that blue water solution in place again, uh, and hoping that you know many of our listeners here will either be with us in person uh, or watching the TV coverage. Um, and Dave, thank you again for the invitation to join the podcast this afternoon here, and uh, wishing you and the team at Blue Water all the very best. Thank you. Thank you, Philip. Thank you. Incredible insights there for anyone who's organising a major sporting event, or for that matter, any mega event, including music festivals or conventions. From Philip Russell of the RNA, the governing body of golf outside the USA and Mexico. The Scottish-based organisation has shown how it is a true change-maker, driving a more sustainable approach to how we live and enjoy our lives without negatively impacting the environment. 
It's always stunning being able to talk to someone like Philip to discover first-hand experiences of dealing with the key issues of sustainability and hydration issues we are facing around our planet, including growing water scarcity and increasing pollution of our freshwater resources by industrial waste, pesticides, chemicals and microplastics. While on the subject of golf, I'd like to dissuade of any notion that it's a sedate and boring game. Statistics from a study in 2018 indicated it potentially was more dangerous than rugby or boxing. In fact, Golf Monthly magazine estimated 40,000 golfers seek emergency treatment every year due to head injuries caused by errant golf balls and flying club heads. However, most injuries occur in the lower back, followed by injuries to the elbow, shoulder and wrist. A 2019 study by three spine surgeons published in the Journal of Neural Surgery says back disorders are the most common golfing injury among professional and amateur golfers alike. The study additionally said an increasing number of young professional golfers are experiencing low back pain and degenerative disc disease at ages much younger than those of the general adult population. The authors put the blame for the increasing cases of lower back injury on modern swing techniques, which apparently place extraordinary loading and torsional stress forces on the lumbar spine. With around 300 swings per golf-playing day, a golfer repeatedly experiences minor traumatic injuries to the spine, which may result over time in a pathogenic process termed repetitive traumatic discopathy. Over the years, Blue Water has worked with Hawaii-based American sports medicine specialist Dr. Angie Muller to better understand how important good hydration is to the human body. Dr. Muller believes golfers can take proactive steps to avoid back injury. She says that a prime focus for every golfer should be to stay adequately hydrated to ensure optimal water flow to the muscles, joints and spine. Dr. Muller, who holds a doctorate in physical therapy from Regis University and a bachelor's in health and exercise science with a concentration in sports medicine from Colorado State University, recommends professional and amateur golfers drink water before, during and after the game. This should happen regardless of the time of year or weather conditions, she says, because Proper hydration is critical for physical performance as well as mental clarity and endurance while playing a round of golf. One of golf's top advisory bodies, the European Tour Performance Institute, otherwise known as ETPI, endorses Dr Muller's viewpoint. Using the knowledge amassed by the tour's performance and medical practitioners over the past 20 years, ETPI says there is sound evidence that the timing of hydration before and during sustained exercise will significantly improve performance. We've come to the end of this Planet Water podcast. I hope all of you out there have enjoyed meeting with Philip Russell from the RNA and learning about the organisation's commitment to creating and leaving a cleaner planet. 
as a grandfather of three granddaughters and two grandsons who already enjoy playing golf, the whole subject of clean water, sport and planetary well-being is incredibly important to me. This has been Planet Water, brought to you by Blue Water. And this is Dave Noble saying stay safe and talk to you soon. If you have enjoyed Planet Water, help us spread the word by reviewing and rating the podcast. It'll help us keep making great episodes going forward. If you have a comment or a question you'd like answered, email me at planetwater at bluewatergroup.com and I'll do my best to get back to you just as quickly as I can. That email again is planetwater at bluewatergroup.com. Thank you for listening to Planet Water. Please remember to always talk to your doctor about your hydration needs. We're not doctors and don't provide medical or health-related advice. Please remember as well that the individual opinions expressed here are just opinions, nothing more. Thank you.